this week on Writers Inc. Here's the interesting thing. What you're talking about is, is not limited in its scale, but we need to think about it like real brick and mortar businesses. What do you do when there are too many customers in the door for you to handle it yourself? You hire people. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. J.D., what's happening, man? Oh, not much. Living the dream. <laughs> Every week, right? <laughs> I, I tried. I listened back to the podcast, and my audio quality hasn't been what I want it to be. So I, I bought some new hardware, which I, I ran by you by email. I got a really cool Sure microphone and a nice little preamp, and I, it all arrived yesterday. I plugged it all in. And I couldn't get a damn sound to come <laughs> out of that thing. Um, so I'm still tooling with it. So I'm still on the the older Yeti microphone right now. But I'm hoping for next week I'll I'll have a, a slightly better system going on in here. Yeah. Um, I even I even bought a rug for the floor. Like I we we had a furniture delivery today for like the first time. Like everything you know, like it, the whole world has basically been on hold. But we had furniture that we bought months ago that um you know they just sent us an email saying sorry we're just not delivering right now. They've got no problem charging us for it. Of course. They're just not. Yeah, they're just not delivering. So they they actually showed up this morning in like full on hazmat suits and brought in a couch and brought in a rug and a couple other little things um so hopefully that's going to help with the, the sound quality a little oh bit that'll too. that'll make a big difference that and and, yeah. and and the new mic yeah i mean we we couldn't get that that damn thing hooked up and, uh, no and, and you know unlike you i mean you're a musician so you have extra equipment like laying around everywhere but you know like i, I had to buy an xlr cable like that's my only one yeah, yeah it's my, my only microphone like i don't have spare parts where i can you know swap things out so right. i don't I, I don't know which part of the the whole system isn't working but we'll, we'll get it squared away I'm, yeah. I'm pretty good at solving most problems yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get it. There's, yeah. o- there's only so many things to interchange before you figure out which what thing isn't working. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, nice. Hey, I I need to mention a few things because I totally forgot to do it last week. But uh, I um, and I'll have links in the show notes. I put out um, I published a book on author mastermind groups on May first. So if there yeah. are any listeners who are interested in you know what is a mastermind and how does it work and how do I join one? What do you do in those things? Uh, they're a little different than critique groups, um, and I go into that in the book, but I, I wanted to mention that that book's out there and available uh, now if, if anyone's interested. Well, I didn't know what one was until you and I first started talking about it. That might actually be a good show topic at some point down the road. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that are one, you know, master of what? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like uh, something devious, you know, like uh, yeah, something it does. Austin like Powers a- or something. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm, I'm going to see you in a, some kind of car chase yeah. in, in, the, in the near future with a helicopter above you. Yeah, some kind of diabolical takeover. So yeah, yeah. We, could, we could definitely, uh, maybe that'd be a good show topic at some point too. Uh, and the other thing is uh, Writers Inc. alumni and my good friend Joe Anna Penn 
we work we were working on a co-writing uh, course together that she recently put up on Teachable. So I'll have a link in the show notes there if anyone's interested in checking out. Um, it's it's a mini course, so it's not it's not uh, a big thing. But we wrote a few books together, and one of our favorite things that we did is we kept this journal as just a Google Doc, and every day as we were co-writing, this was in 2014 or 2015, we would just put our thoughts and what what was happening, <laughs> and we didn't know each other as well back then. And we went back and revisited that journal. And we were just laughing at like all the subtext that was in there, and, <laughs> and like we were awkward. It, it, it was. So did- did you each fun. keep a journal, like an individual one, or you both wrote in the same one? We like, wrote did the she same see your document. Notes and... Yeah, so oh, we, okay. could, we were sort of writing back and forth to each other. And, and in this new course, we were uh, talking through that and just having a good time. So That's uh, funny. Yeah, it was good. I wanted to mention that too. Cool. Yeah. So who do we got on the docket for today? We have uh, my old friend, Brian Cohen. So Brian is, uh, he is the one half of the Selmore Book Show uh, podcast. He did that with Jim Kukrell for a number of years and now... H. Claire Taylor is is co-host with him, and Brian's been in the indie indie community for a long time. He's done uh, he does book descriptions. He's got Amazon Ad School. He's really becoming sort of a, a ninja when it comes to Amazon ads. So I uh, thought it'd be a a really interesting guest, and guy's got some good insight, and he's pretty crafty. He he seems to make dollars appear out of thin air. I love those kind of guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to pay attention too. I think we touched on this last week and I'm, I'm throwing money at Amazon left and right for, for advertising. I've got no clue if any of it's actually working. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, I, I'm afraid to turn it off because I don't know what it would actually do. It's like, but when we bought this house, we've got um, down in the, the crawl space, there's a, like a timer. It looks almost for like a lawn sprinkler, like what it was kind of just kind of ticks along all mechanical and it's plugged in and it's running right now. We've got no idea what it does. Um, and I, I'm afraid to turn it off because it's obviously doing something. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, and that's kind of how I feel about Amazon. Like, I just I don't want to flip that switch without knowing what I'm doing wrong or doing right. So, I'm yeah, gonna pay attention. And back at book blurbs, I mean, to me, that's always been the, the hardest thing. Like, I can write a full on novel before I can summarize it in, in 200 words or less, and and then taking that to like a tagline, like that's near impossible to come up with that one sentence that describes your book. So, people that can do that definitely have a gift. Yeah, and I know. Uh... As of the time that we're airing this, which is going to be May of 2020, so if you're listening a year from now, this won't be relevant, but uh, in, in just a couple months, in July, Brian is doing a free Amazon ad challenge where he invites uh, he invites all these authors in. I think he had like two or 3,000 authors do it uh, back in January or, or February the last time he did it. And he, he does like a, a five-day sequence where he takes you from like setting up the ad uh, writing the the copy, the keywords, like everything you need to get going. So we'll have a link in the show notes too. Like I said, it's it's not happening right now. And if you're listening to this later, you're going to miss out. But July 2020, he's doing a, a free challenge. So I would encourage people to sign up for that if they don't know anything about ads or want to kind of figure out how to set up some basic stuff. All right. Well, let's get going. All right. Author, podcaster, coach. Tell me why you chose those three titles. Um, probably because I just haven't updated things in a while. No. Um, well, I think that it's easy for folks to forget. And, and I think you understand this too as a multi-title person. Yes. When you are teaching a lot, people can forget that Yes, you put down the words too. You're writing as well. I am really proud to be coming up on, uh, I actually need to do the math. It's probably uh, pretty close to like a quarter of a million dollars sold of books. And nice. I'm like, 
very happy about that, certainly. And I think that we can't all be million dollar sellers and teachers at the same time. And I think it's good because I was talking about this a while ago. If you, if you had to be taught by somebody to, to play basketball, would you choose Michael Jordan or his fellow Chicago Bulls teammate, Steve Kerr? <laughs> and Steve Kerr, you know, like, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, but he great numbers over his career. But you, you immediately think about Jordan. But Steve Kerr also coached uh, Golden State Warriors to multiple championships, whereas Jordan, as a general manager, as a coach and whatnot, hasn't really done anything. So the people who destroy it on the sales side aren't always the best teachers. And so I think that one of the things, that, and, and this kind of goes into the coach aspect of just, I feel really strong about my ability to teach back you, we, we made fun of before this, like going back to your childhood. I'm going to go back generations. <laughs> I'm going to talk about my Bubby. She, she was a teacher back in uh, 1950s, 60s Philadelphia. And I've got that in my blood. And, and I love the ability to, yes, do the stuff, but also to teach and to coach. Uh, and then the podcaster thing. Hey, we, we all got, what do you have? Seven? I don't know. Seven, seven shows? eight, nine. I lose track. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I've got mine and you've got yours and we're always going to have a million different ones. Uh, I love, I love this medium because I mean, I, I really like video, but um, on the audio side of things, certainly people can, you know, I don't know if authors like feel nervous for us on the video. People consume a lot of things in audio first and, and then maybe they're getting some video as well. So yeah. I don't know. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, this whole thing about teaching, because it, I, I find myself talking about this all the time. I, yeah. I use the Wayne Gretzky hockey analogy, but uh, I like the Michael Jordan one better. But, you know, mm -hmm. Wayne Gretzky, who is the, the best hockey player of all time by far, uh, tried multiple times to go behind the bench, and he was just a terrible coach. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that's a, you know, you, I know you're, and I think your parent, one of your parents was a teacher as well, right? Oh, yeah. My grandmother, yeah. both of my parents. Both parents, right. Right. Like I'm, I've got so much teaching. I'm sure if we went back generations on my mom's side, I'd find somebody else. Yeah. A lot, yeah. lot of teaching DNA up in here. Yeah. So I, I, I think there's something very valuable there. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to fight a little bit of imposter syndrome because, you know, I'm not uh, a seven figure author. And sometimes I think, well, you know, if I were like, that'd be, uh, I would be more, uh, I'd be a better teacher, but that I have to remind myself that's not how it works. That teaching is an entirely separate skill. You might get more students and <laughs> members if you were a seven-figure author, but it wouldn't necessarily make you a better teacher. True, true. So your teaching has has and your love for teaching has sort of 
transferred into other aspects of your business. And uh, on the surface, it might not look, look like teaching, but I think it is. So uh, your book description business, yeah. how, how is that like teaching? Because that's a done-for-you service, but yet I think there's a real educational component to that. I think so, too. Um, so with Best Page Forward, we are writing the description, we're writing the ad copy and everything. But because this is such a cumulative process in, in our learning of this craft, one thing we've picked up on over time is it's a lot easier to write a, a book description for a book that has very clear conflict and has uh, very vibrant characters and setting. And so we instinctively, even in a book that's maybe not conveyed to us as having those things, we'll, we'll pick up on things and we'll flesh out things like bringing this character's viewpoint in that might not have been in the original edition of the blurb. And I, I hear these things about uh, people now, some people now writing a blurb first. And that's exactly the reason why you do it because then you'd see, oh, this main character's got nothing going on. Let's <laughs> do something here. And I think that that aspect of the teaching component showing you what the best parts of your story are, maybe even showing you, we've had people say like, I'm not sure my book deserves this blurb. Uh, and that like is, you know, a funny response, but at the same time, it's like, well, maybe it doesn't, but it could if you bumped up the book. And, and so that I think is where maybe some of the teaching comes in. And how many uh, of those has Best Page Forward done to, to date, roughly? Over 2,500. Wow. So you're, uh, you know, those are, that's at least a few thousand authors who have learned, even, even by example, have learned how yeah. to write better uh, ad copy, better book mm -hmm. descriptions. Uh, and, uh, and that's, that's a, a great way of teaching. Yeah. We've had people like say, Hey, I used to use your service and then I kind of learned it from you and now I'm off doing it. And it's like, that's a That's compliment, cool. isn't it? Like I, I hear that it's from clients too. I tell clients like my goal is to get you is to get you on your own, like so that you don't need me anymore. That's my ultimate goal, uh, and and I think that because what you're doing then is you're empowering someone with whatever information that they need or techniques that they need. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think uh, the first sort of outward manifestation of this teaching for you was was starting the uh, somewhere book show? I think that was definitely part of it. I mean, kind of before that, I had those multi-author uh, Facebook events, which um, honestly kind of rotates back around to today because I'm I'm doing more like social Facebook stuff. Um, your favorite, and <laughs> um, and and I think that I'm coming back around to the idea that different styles of teaching work better in certain communities. And this is going to be like, I don't know, slight bombshell situation, but like, I think self-paced courses don't really work for most of <laughs> Like, I think they're sold. I, I, and I've sold them certainly as, as them working. And then when people, when people do the work in them, they, they often work. But that's the problem. Most self-paced courses never get completed. 
why why don't we I'm putting myself in the category. I know I've purchased courses that I have not not only finished but haven't even started. Me too. Why why do we why do we not take these courses that we invest our time and or money into? Well, if we're going to go into the neurological components <laughs> of it, you can I answer think, that however you want, Brian. I think no, I know. Um uh and I will answer it in multiple ways. <laughs> I think that there's there are these scientific uh, there's these scientific studies that have shown that even just deciding like I'm gonna order the salad, you don't even need to eat the salad at that point. Your brain is already like reward. Oh, cheat! Um, <laughs> boom! And so it's the same thing with these courses. You've like there's a component in your brain that thinks problem solved when you click the buy button and it decreases the motivation to actually work on it and it reduces the chance of you actually getting started and that is why one of the reasons i've been figuring out like well how do we guilt people into doing the work and maybe it's not always guilt but like there's some component of it right like, how do we do that? And, and trying to bring in like, well, why did a lot of us were nerds in high school? Uh, why did we do work in high school versus like, why don't we do it now? And like getting into that, like the psychology behind that, I think is, is the next wave of author education needs to tap into that because people have realized I'm going to buy a course and not do it. Yes. So we need to like get beyond that. Well, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. Yeah, I have too, because I think as content creators for other authors, the, the, the nut to crack there is the accountability one. So if you yeah. purchase an online course, you're not accountable to anyone but yourself. Whereas if you are involved in, uh, for example, an ad challenge, uh, you da, are, da, da. yeah, you're being held <laughs> accountable. Uh, like, do you like that seamless transition into, uh, you're selling so for seamless. Offers? That's the number one word I'd use to describe <laughs> you. Jay yeah. I, I'm called seamless all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, so I mean, tell us like if, if, if you're, if best page four was sort of like your, your first business venture into, yeah. uh, both service and education, I feel like yeah. selling for authors is the next evolution of that. Can you, can you describe what it is and what you do? So, um, I would say that just the next evolution in a way would be more like Amazon ad school. That's kind of like the direction more of that selling for authors actually was the name of my first course. Um, and I've kind of moved away from it a little bit. So I just wanted to clarify there, oh, but okay. um, so I feel like the next things, the next group of things that I do are very much going to be focused on practicum, very much going to be focused on doing work. Um, I was even thinking about this. This is, here's how I work. I like think of an idea that's really good. I, not all the ideas are good, but <laughs> when I think of an idea that's really good, then I'm kind of like, I really stew on it, but like I will immediately start talking about it to a lot of people. And so thinking about just the idea that, yes, uh, we, we advertise, we're all like advertising, building our, reader email list, building our author email list. And I'm thinking, 
like I've been really hammering on, well, I don't, I don't really want to do like a cheat sheet. And I couldn't figure out why. Like I, a white paper, a cheat sheet, a step-by-step, whatever. And the reason now I'm realizing that I didn't want to do one is because I think they're full of crap. <laughs> and I don't want to put out anything into the world that's full of crap. But then I realized, well, one of the things I liked the best about the challenge and my course is that there's homework. And so that's actually what I'm going to do in a whole ad campaign around homework. And I'm just like, hey, there's a bunch of cheat sheets out there, but uh, I'm going to be like your eighth grade English teacher and give you homework. And some people are going to be like, just so confused by it. Like, why would I do homework? I'm like, well, maybe you want to succeed. Um, so just th- these things I'm thinking about as far as, and, and so my ad school that I've, that I've been doing in, in 2019 and into 2020 has had homework and has homework at the end of every lesson. And I've been doing that for a bit. But um, what I think is really nice about everybody doing something at the same time which is what you'd have with a challenge or what you'd have with an in-person event where you force people to do stuff is there's that like, Oh man, these other people are doing it. Or like you're in the group and you see like 10 people posting their stuff and you're like, well, I've got to do it. I want to keep up with Sally and Jim. (laughs) So that's kind of where like my head is with this stuff. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're in the right place. Uh, I can tell you in, in running mastermind groups for authors, the accountability of having, you know, homework and you, mm-hmm. you got to write your scene and you have to bring your scene to the group and you got to do it every week. And, and I think that's different than taking a course on how to write a scene, which m- m- might be helpful. And, and some mm-hmm. people who take the course might learn from it, but having that feedback loop is important. Um, yeah. So what, what level of, uh, this is sort of a higher level business question, I guess, because there's this, I don't know, this paradox I feel or this conflict that I feel in that an internet business is one that potentially could scale to infinity. Yeah. Uh, and yet what we're talking about now is I, I feel like we're moving into a phase of the internet business world where it's what doesn't scale is what's most effective. And, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of thing where you're talking about in-person events or you're talking about homework with some level of accountability. So how do how do you reconcile the the nature of the business as it's been versus the trend that you see happening? So here's the interesting thing. What you're talking about is, is not limited in its scale, but we need to think about it like real brick and mortar businesses. What do you do when there are too many customers in the door for you to handle it yourself? You hire people, you hire people to help. And then it's like, oh, well, some kid off the street isn't going to know enough about Amazon ads to tell them. It's like, well, Best Buy people and Apple geniuses didn't know either. They got trained. And so we need to think, the, the folks like me and you, we need to think about, well, how do we make someone who's 80% as good as me. And chances are, if you think they're 80, they're actually 90 is what I hear. (laughs) Um, How do we make a a bunch of little Jay Thorne, Brian Cohen clones running around helping us? Because 
I know someone who runs the, the mastermind business model, but has like 10 people setting them up for her. And that is the scale extension of yours. Uh, for if I, if I do live events, what is the way to do uh, multiple a year? Well, maybe it's to hire someone else to run the one in another city. It's like, I've always shied away from that stuff because it seems too scary and too hard, but it's like, well, I also know I'm not going to be the person to just put out like self-paced courses, which are a lot more scalable without the support that's needed because I know that that will not be helpful. And I'm an ENFP. I'm, I'm the campaigner. I'm all about top of the mountain. Who needs help? Get on my cape. Help them, fix them, solve the problem, pick up three babies along the way who need help. <laughs> that's that's what an ENFP does. And so I'm like rolling with that personality type. Yeah, I, I that that makes sense. Uh I, I'm wondering how many how many authors who who say might be listening to this podcast are like us in that they are looking at multiple revenue streams that would apply to maybe not just their core writing competency, but these these other things, whether they be coaching or cover design or developmental editing. In your experience, uh, maybe maybe the inverse of that question would be easier to answer. What percentage of, of professional writers only write? I mean, it's it's definitely low. Like we see the big success stories. We see the seven figures. We see the six figures. We see the five figures in one month. Um, a lot of those people, we don't see the back end and see that they spent $8,000 to get to 15,000 and they can't live on that 7,000 because they have five kids. <laughs> so they're still doing something else. We don't always see that. And so there's definitely people that are just writing. There are people that are writing that maybe are in a two income household where they are writing and their spouse is doing something else. And so it's definitely a smaller percentage than you'd think. And then we get that imposter syndrome that, well, we aren't coming off like this awesome five figure a month person. But then again, they behind the scenes aren't really that person either. So we obviously there are people who who do fit that bill but we need to kind of stop it with the comparisonitis a little bit and we need to just do our thing and that may mean yes we have a secondary gig we have a multiple source of income and that's fine because if you can keep working on building those sources of income then hey at some point Maybe you cut one of them that you don't enjoy doing. And that could be trading time for money. That could be something else entirely. Yeah, I agree. And I don't I don't want this to sound like uh, a rationalization for that approach because I think what you said really makes sense and I, and I totally agree with it. And part of me thinks that if, if you only earn your income strictly from writing, that um, unless you're at the top echelon of those writers – you don't have any more job security than someone who relies on a single employer for a paycheck. And if there's a downturn in the market, if there is a, some political issues within the office, if there are any number of things, uh, you know, our, our good friend, Rachel Heron 
and her friend Sophie have said that they've been fired by publishers uh, a number of times, which basically means they get, you know, in the traditional world, they get signed to a book deal and then don't get signed again. Um, So part of me thinks like, you know, and and like I said, unless you were at that really that top one of one percent where you're, you know, you're routinely you're getting six figure advances it's probably in your best interest to have some type of security with these multiple revenue streams. Yeah. And security and redundancy and all of these things are so helpful when we are trying to make that bottom line happen. And, and um, this year, my business coach has really helped me to say, all right, well, uh, this isn't worth my time versus something else that I could go three times, four times harder on, like, say, I'm, I see this all the time. Author has fiction and nonfiction. You look at their ROI and their nonfiction, and it's three times higher than their fiction. And, and I just shout all day long, put more effort into your nonfiction, because that could lead to some major growth in your business. It's just not as romantic as mm-hmm. working on the fiction. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that dream yeah. within a dream, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is the, it is the cabin in the woods writing the great American novel. And yet mm-hmm. uh, for even for nonfiction writing is, is writing like it, mm-hmm. you know, if you really enjoy the, the communicating through writing, then it, it almost doesn't matter. But I, I'm preaching to the choir here. Uh, yeah. But there's some non choiry folks who, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to, I'd like to kind of, uh, come to a close with a, a question that's uh, posed to all of our guests and, and you can answer this however you want. Uh, I think it's more of sort of a, a philosophical question, but I'd love to hear what you think. And, and, sure. and that is, what is your basic approach to the business of writing? I think that you, you kind of look at it in that old John Cusack way. Boombox high over the head. Uh, he, he's, he's quoted as one saying, I do one for them and one for me. There's one studio movie, one independent movie. And I think you can look at the moves that you do. Like it, it depends on where you are in your career. Sometimes you're going to have to do three for them, one for you. But you look at the ROI, the return on investment of the projects you're doing, and you put as much time into those as you need to, to pay for basic needs, to pay for your uh, house, to pay for food, pay for family expenses. And then when you have time, and this will give you energy, you work on the things that, uh, that are for your soul and you work on the one that's for you. And so I try to approach things that way. I think that there are multiple things I do that are probably more in service of my mental health and my life and my love than for being the most successful authorpreneur in the world. And I think that's okay. I like got the roof over my head, got, you know, kiddo taken care of, got uh, things in pretty good shape. 
could I be making 50% more if I did certain things? Maybe, I don't know. But I think that if you approach it in that way, where it's not all about the money and you include some of that soul work, then I think you, you're you gonna be able to uh, sustain yourself on that. So you sustain yourself on the money on one side and the spirit on the other side. All right, that was Brian Cohen. Uh, what'd you think, JD? Some good takeaways there? Well, I think you need to get a, a t-shirt or a hat that says JC was thorn on it. <laughs> your, your new name. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a couple, couple quick takeaways. I, first of all, he's, he's one of those guys that I kind of like to sit down with and, and have a beer and just brainstorm potential business ideas. Um, you know, cause like, sometimes when you get people like that in a room, you come up with some crazy things. Um, but at the same time, he feels like you might actually be able to pull them off. Um, one of the other things that he mentioned is, uh, you know, like people, you know, like making a living as a writer, like, and personally, like, you know, I, I, I do, I do quite a bit on the side. Like, I, I think, I don't know if we've actually talked about this on the air, but when my first advance check came in from fourth monkey, um, my wife took that before I even got a chance to take it down to the bank and uh, she put it into real estate. Um, we ended up buying some houses and flipping them. Um, we invested some of the money, um, but she basically took the advance money that came in from those first couple of books and set us up in a way where, you know, we could basically live a hundred percent off of that at this point, even if I didn't make another dollar from writing. Wow. Um, and, and that's one of those things that I, I see with a lot of first time authors. They just, they don't quite know how to handle. Like if, if somebody hands you a seven figure check, you know, a lot of people don't know what to do with that. Um, and you know, I saw it back in the day when I was working for the, for RCA records, um, you know, and you see it a lot with sporting, you know, people in sporting, um, arenas, football players, basketball players, that kind of thing. They get that big payday, but they don't get financial advice on how to deal with it. So they just, they put the money in the bank. It's not earning interest and they eventually just burn through it and then it's gone. So you're still, you know, working a, a, a job and, you know, a day job in a certain way, but ha having, um, you know, income that's coming in on the side. Uh, is, is definitely key. Um, and, I, and I actually talk about that quite a bit in some of my author talks when I speak to other authors, just you know, taking in as much of the money that comes in as you possibly can and putting it into something that's going to just give you income, you know, that's just working, you know, get that money working for you, I guess is what I'm, what I'm getting at. Yeah, m much like Joanna Penn, Brian is uh, a firm believer in multiple revenue streams, and, and he's very savvy at, uh, at redistributing and reallocating his energy uh, based on the money and where it's coming in and setting things up so that they're uh, it's not it's not exactly passive income but he's making money working um, on the business as opposed to in the business so I think your your sense of what he's doing and sort of his business acumen is pretty accurate um, I, I also think Brian's a really great teacher I don't know if that that came across but uh, he he has a very natural way about him and he kind of boils the essence of things down to make make them very understandable when they could be very complex yeah, and he actually brought up a good point there, and, and I, I actually wrote it down. Those who can't necessarily teach, and those who teach can't necessarily do. Yeah, it's almost almost like a tongue twister. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, like I, I've got no problem writing a book and and hitting a bestseller list, but at the same time, if you have to, you know, sitting me down and getting me to teach somebody else how to do that is is a very difficult thing, and that's honestly one of the reasons why I mentor people and why I force myself to do it. Um, some people are natural teachers, and I'm not one of them. Um, but I, you know, it's like anything else. If you practice and you, you work at it hard enough, you can, you can learn to do it. Yes. Um, which, which is kind of where I'm at. 
Um, the other thing you brought up is that, you know, most self-paid courses don't get completed. And that, that is so true. Yep. Um, I, I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you how many I've picked up over the years that are, you know, I'm, I'm one or two episodes or course, you know, classes in and, you know, the rest is just sitting there and it's, you know, it's probably outdated. You know, I probably have like ads for MySpace or something out there somewhere that, that I never actually finished. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm not alone in that. Yeah. Um, you know, we're just, you know, we're not, we're not motivated to, you know, to sit down and go to school, you know, it, it helps that it's something that's going to further our career. I think that that kind of gets our butt in the seat, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to complete it. Yeah, I've seen that too. And I think that's why in my own client work and stuff, I'm moving more towards author masterminds and groups that have some level of accountability because I'm the same way. I mean, I've purchased online courses and I start most of them, but uh, there are some I haven't finished. And, and uh, I think that's pretty typical. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What did you take away from from that. Yeah, I, I think too, I'm, I'm really interested in learning more about Amazon ads. And so I, I'm always paying close attention to what Brian's talking about with, with ads and what it takes to, to make them successful. And I'll be perfectly honest, I signed up for his last Amazon ad challenge, but I did it as an observer. I just wasn't in a point where I could, I could do the homework that he required. So I'm going to do it again in July. And I think this time I'm going to try and place the ads and, and run them because one of the takeaways I got from Brian is that uh, you got to try stuff like you, you have to experiment just taking the course or just reading about it. Isn't necessarily good enough. If you really want to learn something, you kind of have to do it. Well, that's, that's good advice just in general in life. Yeah. You know, if, if you just sit in the seat and you keep your mouth shut and you don't actually try any of these things, they're going to just pass you by. You know, it's, it's much better to, to try and fail than to not try at all. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so it was great. It was great having Brian on. Like I said, uh, I, I know I'm uh, very comfortable with Brian since we've been friends for a long time, but uh, it was great to have him on the show and great for him to share what he knows with us. So that was awesome. Absolutely. So next week, who, who do we got coming on next week? We've got John Land. So anybody that's been to Thriller Fest knows John. Um, he's, he's a great guy. I mean, he's been around the industry for a really long time. Um, you know, he's, and he's, he's one of the, I don't know if he's actually one of the founders of Thriller Fest, but he's definitely been there from the get go and, and behind the scenes, you know, he's like that wizard just pulling all the the handles and the knobs and and keeping the thing together. Um, a great guy to talk to. He, he put me on one of my very first panels. Um, and, and he runs it. He always reminded me of like a game show or a game show host, <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, just his, his personality. Um, you know, he just, I think the panel that I was on with him was one of the very first ones in the morning. You know, everybody came stumbling in, you know, the cup of coffee that they just poured and they kind of fell into their seat. And within five minutes, he had the, the energy in that room up like a thousand times. And, and anytime you're around him, he's, he's like that. And it doesn't matter if it's nine o'clock at night or, you know, three o'clock in the morning or whatever. Like he's just, he never turns it off. I, I'm sure at some point he, he collapses on the floor because nobody <laughs> can keep going like that. But um, just a, a complete wealth of knowledge too yeah i'm really looking forward to the interview the guys uh i mean he took over the whole murder she wrote uh franchise and it just a very accomplished and experienced and uh looking forward to talking to him yeah that one's gonna be a lot of fun yeah to our listeners we appreciate your support and if you like what you're hearing please tell a friend or consider leaving us a review on itunes until next time have a great week of writing Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.